Greetings to the brightest audience in the country and welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. With tomorrow being Valentine's Day, we are going to Bob Enyart's Bible teaching on God's plan for marriage. This is part one of three. If you want the entire series, make sure to go to kigov.com, click on the store, and just search God's plan for marriage, and that'll come right up. Or just go to kigov.com on today's show page, and we will have a link to that right there. Hey, now let's jump right into the broadcast. Today we will begin our series on God's plan for marriage, and I'm going to weigh in gently. First, talking about the institution of marriage itself and our ability to understand and to defend marriage. And then, on the last two Sundays of September, on the 18th and the 25th, We'll talk about the wonderful ways that husbands and wives can build up one another, edify each other, love each other. Marriage is a wonderful opportunity to have a witness to your life because God gave us marriage to last till death do you part. And so to have someone who cares about you, someone you care about, to be a witness of your life throughout your life is a tremendous blessing from God. And so we will look at that and the ways that mom and dad, husband and wife, can become an example of the love of Christ to their own children. And then in October, we're going to talk about raising godly children. And one of the best ways of doing that is for the husband to love his wife and for the wife to love her husband. There is almost nothing better on earth Christian parents can do to begin raising godly children than to love one another. But I said I'm going to begin by weighing in gently because some people rightly say, hey, Bob Enyart, you have been divorced twice, so why would you be teaching about marriage? And how tragic and true that is. We don't talk about this often, but of course, having a daily talk show for 20 years, my life is somewhat of an open book. My older boys have suffered tremendous difficulty. Cheryl and I have struggled because of the tragedy of divorce, which opens up a family and allows the state to step in. And pretty soon, what should have been parental decisions are being made by strangers and by people who have no regard for the Lord or for His Word. And for example, it in the lives of my two oldest boys, through no fault of their own, they saw their family around them crumble. Cheryl and I lost custody of our four boys. And my two, for example, Josiah and Nathaniel, were raised through many of their formative years by someone who did not believe in God, was basically an atheist, and a drug addict, a, a pothead throughout all those years 
till this day, and they suffered because of that. And ultimately, it was my sin in undermining my family that set them up for that enormous difficulty. So the Bible warns us against destroying our home with our own hands and how easy that is to do and how necessary it is to look to God because He is wise above all else. After my divorce from the boy's mother, I was desperate to remarry, and I did. And within a month, that woman began filing for divorce, and that occurred a year later. So this is a great tragedy in my life, and I have been challenged about this by any number of people, including friends out of love and enemies out of hatred. By what right, Bob, do you say anything about marriage? For you have failed. And how true that is. In your life, when you have to refer to biblical examples like the Apostle Paul or King David in order to justify your own ministry, well, then you know that you have failed God and you have failed your loved ones in the most terrible and despicable of ways. So that is exactly true, yet those men and their examples are in the Scriptures. God is a God of new beginnings. He is a God of renewal. He is a God who not only made man out of the dust of the earth, but He can take our ashes, the burned-up embers of our lives, and turn them into joy. If only we let Him. If we humble ourselves, if we don't defend ourselves when we're in the wrong or for our failures, but throw ourselves on the mercy of the court, on His mercy, then He has the authority to forgive, which He does when we trust in Him. And He has the ability to restore, which He does when we let Him live through us. Cheryl and I have been married now for 16, 17. Cheryl and I have now been married for 17 years. And my notes said 16, even after I tried to think it through. And while I have no confidence in my flesh to be a good husband, I have every confidence in her ability to mirror back to me whether she is being loved or neglected. And I have, I have every confidence that I can love my wife as I submit to Christ and His love for us and our children. And so it is by these truths that I will stand here for a few weeks this month, being an expert, tragically, on how to destroy a marriage, but then an example of how God can build something beautiful from a human being who offers himself to God, offers herself to God as a living sacrifice, and to share with you how to have a godly marriage. So today I'd like to look at three subjects, the institution of marriage, the government's role in marriage, and the purpose of marriage. Right? The 
institution of marriage, Jesus referred back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 4, when he said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, Jesus continued, They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So God instituted marriage between a man and a woman. He made them male and female, and he didn't do this billions of years after the beginning of the creation. But as Mark's gospel clarifies in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, Jesus said, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So at the beginning of the creation, in other words, in the first week of creation, on the sixth day, God made Adam and Eve male and female. So we should defend marriage as between a man and a woman. And it is tragic that a number of our Christian leaders are beginning to pull back even from that position. How can you get more basic and more biblical than saying marriage should be between a man and a woman? There is the pastor of a megachurch in California who's written a series of books, The Purpose Driven Everything, I think they're called. And his name is Rick Warren. And two weeks before California's historic vote on marriage in 2008, Rick Warren said this. I looked it up so I could quote him exactly. He said, we support Proposition 8. If you believe what the Bible says about marriage, you need to support Proposition 8. And then it one, overwhelmingly, like the defense of marriage amendments have, have been winning in states all over the country, and yet our Christian leaders are beginning to back off and say things like, well, we've lost the battle on marriage. That was said by the president of Focus on the Family just two months ago. Well, Rick Warren appeared on CNN after the election, and he said this. He said, I wrote to all my homosexual friends, the leaders that I knew, and I actually apologized to them. Now, the week before he was on CNN, the Iowa Supreme Court ruled that their state must permit such marriage and no longer uphold marriage between a man and a woman. And Rick Warren said that, well, when he was asked... Would he disagree or criticize that ruling? He refused. So God has made them male and female, but Christians easily become ashamed of Jesus Christ and of his teachings. And so they turn Christianity into just another go-along-to-get-along religion. So God is the one who instituted marriage, when we are ashamed of that, we are ashamed of Jesus Christ. Because as we read in the Gospels, 
He is the creator. He is the one who made us male and female. He instituted marriage. Now I'd like to go on to our second topic, which is the government's role in marriage. And why bring this up? We all believe in marriage and that we should get married before a man and a woman live together. But among conservative Christians, there is a growing movement of believers who say, you know what? God gave marriage to the church. The government has nothing to do with it. So when we decide that we're married, we just stand before God, maybe a couple friends, maybe at the church, maybe up in the mountains, and we say we're married, and that's it, we're married. So that is becoming a growing position, including held by some beloved ones, friends of our church, who many of you know, some who are in ministry, full-time ministry some who are relatives, brothers, and friends. So who has the authority to grant permission for people to marry? Some say that that authority lies solely with the individuals. Others believe that only the church has authority to preside over marriage, over weddings. And in modern times, most people willingly submit to the government as the official certifier of marriage. So which is it? Well, first, I'd like to consider the government's role in certifying marriage and those who believe that they should, as I do. Now, the arguments against it are, well, God instituted marriage. Therefore, certifying a marriage is the function of the church. And government is typically corrupt. And so we can't trust the government because they'll ruin or even forbid marriage. And finally, if you submit to the government licensing your marriage, you are handing your family over to the state, so don't do that. Those are the arguments against getting a marriage license and having the government certify your, your marriage. Now, there are arguments for the government's role, the traditional role of the government and marriage. And to begin with, God requires marriage for families all over the world, even in nations with virtually no church presence. So where there are no Christians today and through the centuries, should people have just lived together and had kids or not, and maybe left their parents, spouses, and mixed up with other people and had more kids and mixed up again and have more kids? Is that what God wanted for them and for their children? No. God gave marriage for all the world before Israel became a nation. It was not for Israel, and it was before the church, so it's not for the church alone, but for the world. A marriage is lawful or unlawful, and enforcement of legality is the government's domain. The church cannot enforce something that is legal or not legal. To administer marriage requires the use of force, for example, to prevent marriage between close relatives. The Bible shows us that that is not only a sin, but it's criminal. 
And so a church can't prevent that. Individuals can't prevent that. But the government can because the government alone has the use of force that God has delegated to them. The administration of family court, divorce, tragically, the division of property and child custody, these also require force. Because a church cannot effectively intervene if one spouse or the other takes the kids and say, I'm the one who should have the kids. The government has to intervene even with the risk of its lack of wisdom and its great wickedness. Even then, the government has to intervene to settle those disputes or else we have family anarchy. Only the government can use administrative force. For example, to compel appearance or to enforce rulings. Only the government can compel testimony regarding marital status, child custody. If you're interested in these topics and there are some thoughts that you haven't considered before, I realize there's a lot here. If you go to one of our websites, kgov.com, kgov.com, because all authority and all government is given by God. God established fathers over children and governments over nations. And so if you go to kgov.com and just search for marriage, you'll see these notes that we put up online, the biblical role of government in marriage. Government began with the family, the family administration of tribes. And as mankind dispersed globally, those tribes became villages, city-states, eventually nations and empires. But it was the patriarchy, the father over the tribe, eventually the grandfather, for example, Abraham, was the patriarch of his tribe, and so he had the authority. Then as he died, it was Isaac, and when he died, it was Jacob, and so on. But eventually those families became political entities, and so those early patriarchies were simply early examples of government. That was the government. So if Abraham decided it was acceptable to take up weapons and go to hunt down a kidnapper and use force against the kidnapper, Abraham was within his right to do so. Throughout history, all cultures have recognized marriage. All cultures. It's like the world having a seven-day week. That's evidence that points back to the Scriptures in the creation week. Even pagan societies have had marriage. The book of Exodus shows us that God saw the marriage of a pagan named Potiphar, that that marriage was valid, and to violate that marriage would be a sin. Even more, it would be a crime, as we see in Scripture. Jesus said that the Samaritans did not know God. In John chapter 4, 
the Samaritans, he said, you Samaritans, you don't know God, but he recognized that the Samaritan woman had been divorced and remarried, and he recognized her multiple divorces and multiple marriages. So Jesus said, well, you have had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. So what does that show us? That the Lord recognized the system of divorce and remarriage that was implemented by the Samaritans, which was not a godly government, but it was an earthly government, and that merely living together does not make you man and wife, husband and wife. It doesn't do it. Government prohibition of various crimes, crimes that I don't want to describe because they're too ugly, especially during a sermon. Government prohibition of various crimes is directly related to its certification of marriage. And if the government can't say or has no business in determining whether two people are married or not, or whether they're married for a year or a month or a day or serially married to different people or multiple people, then the government loses its ability to prohibit various crimes that almost all Christians are so thankful that it still prohibits to this day. Government should nullify unlawful marriages. Again, that are too ugly to describe. There is no right to anonymity. There is no right to claims of secret marriage or secret family. A lot of conservatives think, I have a right to be anonymous. And I ask them, where does the Scriptures present this right? Because our rights are so manifest in the Bible. We have the right to life because God said, do not murder. And the right to own property because God said, do not steal. And the right to due process because God said, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Where is the right to be anonymous? So that a judge or a governing official has no authority to say, well, who are you? And who are these children that you say belong to you? Who are they? We have no right to be anonymous. There are bad governments. That's the norm. But Jesus showed us that just like a bad father, which sadly is often the norm, bad dads, governments still have a responsibility to do right. Yes, people should disobey evil government commands. But otherwise, we should generally submit. That's what even the Apostle Paul said. We obey the governing authorities. We disobey when they tell us to disobey God. But otherwise, we submit. Some people have said, well, I am going to get married without the government knowing because then I'll protect my family from the government getting involved. And maybe the government will get involved and take custody away from me and give it to my wife if we're having marital problems, and I want to avoid that, so we're not going to tell the government about our marriage. And does that work? If you get married, you have a, you get your water utility bill and your phone bill in your, in your same names, and so then you say we're married, 
And so then the government will say, well, sorry, our courts cannot get involved in child custody because you guys didn't get married through a church or a marriage license. Will they say that? No, of course not. So that does nothing to protect the family from the intervention of the government when there is marital crisis. Without government's authority, God's institution is destroyed by a virtual marital anarchy. And Christians, I believe, are unintentionally, the Christians I know who advocate this, they love the Lord and they're fighting so hard to restore a sense of honoring God in our culture. But they are unintentionally undermining God's institution by promoting living together without society's blessing, without the government's certification. So should only the church then certify marriage? Well, of course not. We've already seen that God wants even the millions of people in non-Christian cultures to marry rather than to live together. And he wants that for the sake of the children. Because otherwise, serial partners produces children from two, three, five, or more different fathers, and those children are left to tremendous risk and suffering. Should marriage be a strictly private affair? Well, if individuals had this authority, we certainly would have marital anarchy. And if individuals had this authority, there would be a blurring of brief marriage and shacking up, and people would begin to lose even the conception, as is happening in Europe, of what it means to be married. Now, America's government, we all realize, has, has become increasingly godless over time, and so conservative Christians are desperate to do what's right, and in desperation, we often risk too much. And so we need wisdom and self-control, even in the most difficult circumstances, to not go beyond what God would have for us and what God would have us to do. So we've considered the institution of marriage, that God gave us marriage between a male and a female, and we should not be ashamed of that when we lose that, we have lost almost every last remnant of a Christian culture when we lose marriage between a man and a woman. When we argue that marriage is for the church or the individual and that government has no rule, it might not be our intention, but we're bringing about marital anarchy. And then finally, the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Why did God institute it? The Trinity. Within the Godhead, there is a plurality. And that plurality is the foundation of society. Relationships are the most important thing in all of existence. There is nothing more important than relationships. Even with God. God the Father loves the Son. The Son willfully submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit 
brings glory to the Son and the Father. And these three are one. As we sang this morning, how great is our God, God three in one. He is the foundation of relationship. And so when he created Adam, well, praise the Lord that he made a being in his image and his likeness. But how much more beautiful when Adam is not alone and there are many to enjoy one another and to enjoy their creator, God. And so God made Eve. And God blessed their union and instituted marriage. And it is marriage that is the foundation of society. Marriage is the foundation of society. So as marriage is under attack, civilization itself is under attack. And then God gave the added blessing of having children in marriage. And when we remember what the Lord said, and we're so excited about it, as he showed us in Genesis and then was reaffirmed, you know, praise God in the Gospels, that God made Adam and Eve, but he said that these two shall become one flesh. And we think of that in terms of being a metaphor or a figure of speech for our relationship. And that's true. These two become one flesh. A husband and wife who love one another, they're not really one body. They really are two. And evidence of that is one might pass away and the other still alive. So we're not one flesh literally. But when the two come together with God's blessing and procreate, so that they have a child in that child, truly, literally, not by an analogy or a metaphor or a figure of speech, the two have become one flesh. And those two now have brought into existence an eternal being, a child, a little boy or a little girl who will live forever. For God put eternity in our hearts. What a great blessing. The purpose of marriage is that God wants us to be able to enjoy one another the way they enjoy themselves within the intimacy of the Godhead within the Trinity. That's how God wants us to enjoy one another and enjoy Him. The Apostle Paul lived out his ministry as a single man as did Jesus Christ. He lived as a single man. And being a single man or a woman is a gift from God, the ability to live as a single person and enjoy God and serve Him. And so the Apostle Paul says, if you're married, this is not just an observation. This is crucial. You must be concerned about the things of the world, how to please your wife. That is not just an observation. It's a command. But he said, but if you're not married, you could concern yourself with the things of the Lord alone, how to please your God. So there is a great opportunity in being single and giving yourself to the service of the Lord. But then there is also another wonderful opportunity of two people sharing their lives together 
in holiness before God. That is a great beauty and a great joy and one that we'll talk about in the last two Sundays of this month. So may God bless you. May he make his face to shine upon you. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, we acknowledge, Lord, your wisdom, which is far above our wisdom. We know that right and righteousness flow from you. We know that you are the source of all goodness and all love. So please, Lord, protect us from the thought that we are the experts on what is right and what is loving. Help me, Lord, where I have been wrong to be able to be corrected. Help me to look to you and your word as the authority on which I should build my life and lead this ministry. We love you, our God and Savior. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.